This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. There were a number of stories making headlines this weekend. Here to help break it all down is Michelle McQuig. Michelle is the weekend news editor with the Canadian Press. Hello, Michelle. How are you doing? Hello, Alex. I'm just fine. Thanks. How are you? I'm okay, just despite that little voice crack that just happened when I said hello. I don't don't know if that's going to continue, but <laughs> always love Wonder Years moments, especially on air. Yeah, Those are great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's get into the first uh, story that you wanted to cover, and it involves labor action in Quebec. Mm. So the public sector workers are trying to get a deal done with the province. What's the latest here? Yeah, so this has been a long and ongoing process, and it started becoming more uh, sort of obvious to the public in the past month or so, but it's about to escalate a lot. The Coles Notes version is that the government has been negotiating with five or six public sector unions since late last year. I think those talks started in November or December of 2022. Uh, Four offers have come forward from the government. The union has rejected them all, including the most recent one, which was tabled last month. Uh, the union, excuse me, um, the government is now calling on the union or almost begging them to make a counter offer, but that does not appear to be happening ahead of a whole bunch of planned strikes for this coming week. We already had a one-day walkout from about 420,000 public sector workers a couple of weeks ago. Uh, don't mind my noisy dog who likes to scratch herself loudly. Sorry about that. Um, that one-day strike has already happened. There's been no further movement on talk, so this week things are going to get real. <laughs> We're going to have a number of strikes that we'll I'll talk more about that later on. But uh, the, the the unions are now going to be stepping up their efforts to pressure the, the government to raise their latest contract offer. And so let's dive into what the two sides are seeking out of this deal. So what are mm-hmm. what is the province looking to, to lock down and, and what are the unions looking to get? It's it's complicated, but I will send. I'll focus on the baseline issue of wages, just because that's the easiest one to unpack. The government's last offer was about a ten point three percent raise for all public sector workers over five years, plus a payment of about a thousand dollars a year in the first year. Excuse me, a person in the first year. Uh, so that's the, that's their primary offer. That was up the, the one before that. The baseline wage increase was nine percent, so moving up to ten point three represented some movement from them on that one. But the unions are not going to have that. What they're looking for is is a different kind of structure altogether. First of all, they want it to be a three-year contract, not a five-year one. And what they want to see are they have very specific wage increase demands, but they also want these tied to inflation. So they want mm. salary raises that are tied to inflation plus increases on top of that that, that escalate every year for the contract. And the government uh, has not indicated much willingness to go, to adopt that kind of model. Yeah, well, it, it's for sure. And this is part of those negotiations that are probably going to land somewhere in the middle. Both sides aren't going to be happy about it, but that usually is a sign that that's a pretty, pretty good deal. Uh, yeah, in well, it's interesting, though, though because this has been like there's been a year and they're still really, yeah. really far apart. And now, of course, things are getting are reaching critical mass in terms of public pressure because of the, the strikes that are about to unfold and that will probably keep escalating if there's no deal. Well, and that's usually, uh, it's a certainly a, a tool that uh, unions use to put apply that pressure. So 
Mm -hmm. in speaking about those strikes, how will they impact uh, the residents of the province? They're going to impact just about everyone. 600,000 public sector workers province-wide. It's inevitable that so everywhere, at least, there's going to be about some impact. For three days this week already, for instance, most of schools are going to be closed because the bulk of teachers are involved in these unions and they're going to be on strike for three days starting on starting tomorrow. A bunch of healthcare workers, registered nurses, technicians, they also have strikes planned this week. Uh, these unions rep basically represent workers from most fields that you can think of in Quebec. It's education, it's healthcare, it's government services, you name it. So mm. with all of these unions planning various forms of labor action, I think at least all of them are going to be off at the job at some point over the coming week. Uh, it varies slightly by union. You know, some people are doing two-day walkouts, some doing three, etc. The dates stagger a little bit, but uh, there, I, I can't really imagine any Quebecois communities that are going to not see the effects of this in the next few days. And like I said, the union hasn't, the unions have not made their plans very clear yet, but they certainly have indicated that they're willing to escalate this kind of action if things don't resolve. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll leave that story there for now, but shifting gears over, you wanted to explore a situation in Ontario when it comes to the Ontario Liberals as they work to find yeah, a new them? provincial leader. <laughs> Yeah. Remember the remember the Ontario Liberals, the ones that used to form government and be a huge political dynasty in Ontario. And I think they were in power for like 15 years uninterrupted at one point. And now for the past five or six, they've had they have not even had official party status. Yeah, those oh, guys. Oh, that one. That one. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. the third party in Ontario. <laughs> that's as that's you, the one. You mean, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the once mighty, now decidedly not so mighty Liberal Party is trying to claw its way back to to the main table, so to speak. And what, what I'm finding interesting here is the difference in the leadership contest. So right now they are without a leader. Stephen Del Duca was the last leader. He stepped down the night of the most recent disastrous election for the party, which was last June. And now we are two weeks away from naming a new leader. And what I've been finding interesting here is the way that this leadership contest seems to have breathed a bit of new life into the party and, and sort of helped with its quest back to relevance. And, and uh, uh, share a bit more. Who are some of these uh, sure. candidates vying for party leadership? Yeah, so there's four of them. Uh, the presumed front runner at the moment is a, name, a woman named Bonnie Crombie. She's the mayor of Mississauga, Ontario. For those who don't know that, that's a community just west of Toronto. It's a pretty big city in its own right. Um, quite a major Toronto suburb, and Bonnie Crombie has been mayor of Mississauga for about nine years now. She also had a bit of a term as a federal MP backbencher prior to that. Uh, so she's considered to be the front runner, but two of the other candidates have now formed up a, a bit of an alliance to try and stop her. That's uh, Yasser Nakvi and Nate Erskine-Smith. They're both currently federal liberal MPs, and they've uh, they've been asking their supporters to follow, to back each other as their second choice instead of Bonnie Crombie in a bit to try to stop her. So we'll see how that mm. plays out. The fourth candidate is the only one right now with a current seat in the Ontario legislature, and that's a, a liberal MPP by the name of Ted Shu. And so what are some of the, the key issues uh, that these candidates are focused on as they, they kind of uh, jockey for for that leadership? Yeah. Well, it was interesting that yesterday was the final debate. There have been five leadership debates over the course of this contest, and they weren't really taking shots at each other so much, but more talking about issues like healthcare wait times, how to address staffing shortages, uh, repealing public service wage caps, all things that have come up pretty pretty significantly with the current uh, Doug Ford administration in Ontario. 
they weren't taking so many personal pot shots at each other. So those are the issues that were kind of being focused on by the candidates. But the underlying subtext for all of this is how do you bring the party back? How do you make the liberals sing again? How do you make them viable? Um, that's sort of always the, the anything that underpins these debates. The, the, the big question about leadership is who is going to be the one to make the liberals relevant once again in Ontario politics. And what I'm finding interesting here is how we're seeing a bit of a bit more momentum than I certainly expected. Um, Liam Casey, my colleague who covered the debate, provided some context that the, this particular contest has brought in about 100,000 new memberships. If you look Ooh. back to the successful rise of Pierre Poilievre, that was a big, big tool for him as he was able to drive party membership. Uh, so seeing a, a huge increase in engagement with this particular contest is interesting. Uh, new memberships were like half of the 100,000 or much, or even much, much less in the past two leadership contests. So this one has, a, you know, garnered a lot more interest. It's also raised a lot of money, which is interesting too. Um, this was a party who was not, when you don't have official party status, there's a lot of money you lose access to. They didn't have a ton of money and they had about a $3 million debt from the last election campaign. This leadership contest has enabled them to totally erase that debt already, which is a bit of a surprise. So, um, even though it's been bubbling under for a lot of people among party faithful, this particular leadership contest seems to have captured more attention than we realized. Yeah, and and so how how is the party feeling in terms of you know the confidence? You, you laid it out very well. You know, there's new new membership coming. There's new money flowing in. Do they feel confident that they'll be able to take on the PCs the next uh, election cycle? Well, no one's counting their chickens before they're hatched in that way. No one's really making public comments. But in terms of timelines, it lines up quite well. The next Ontario election won't be till 2026. So the, the new leader, whoever it winds up being, will have a couple of years to really find their feet and get known to the public. That's going to be a big thing because most of these players are not exactly household names among those who are not following Ontario politics. Um, but a big challenge will be for any of the, the, the three who are considered to be ahead of the pack a little bit, the first challenge is going to be to get elected into the legislature itself. So because mm. um, <laughs> none of them currently have seats in the ledge, only Ted Shu does at the moment. So that uh, I, I, I suspect if I had to make an educated guess that they're kind of taking it one challenge at a time and have a few things to knock off their list for 2026. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for uh, sharing these stories. Have yourself a wonderful week and we'll chat on Friday. Sounds great. Take care, Alex. Okay, that was Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor with the Canadian Press. Coming up after the break, when you have different clothing needs, where do you get the apparel that suits you? Marco Pasqua will tell you more. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and on audio on amiplus.ca. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.